0: first thing to do is just be honest about being overwhelmed, right? I mean, like it's a fire hose. I mean, none of us have managed in a global pandemic before. Okay. Give yourself permission to be human and to say, I'm not going to get everything right.
1: Welcome to Innovating Together, podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. You're about to watch another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom, which for those of you who are at home, if you have not seen this before, these are weekly episodes where we conduct an interview with a sitting college president or chancellor, and we want to talk to them about how they're navigating the challenge of this moment. We're in a really unique time and we want to focus on their leadership and unpack how they are making decisions, how they're navigating, and hopefully it will leave you with a sense of optimism, a bit inspired, and give you a bit of hope.
2: I'm Jeff Salingo, joining you from Washington, D.C., where I'm an author, a journalist, and a special advisor at Arizona State University. Well, and Bridget, I'm really excited today for the president that we have because he's really no stranger to the spotlight and to a lot of people here in higher education. He's been named one of the 10 most innovative college presidents uh, in the country, one of the 50 greatest leaders in the world by Fortune magazine, Dr. Michael Sorrell from Paul Quinn College in Texas.
1: Welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
2: Oh, it's
0: always good to be with two of you. You guys are people that I love spending time with.
2: Well, we- thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. So, Michael, uh, how are you holding up right now? What's what's give, what's keeping you positive right now?
0: Oh, what's keeping me positive is that every day I wake up to an amazing family. I mean, frankly, if if not for this, I would not get to spend the amount of time that I have with my kids and wife. And and it's just absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, you know, I am sensitive to what we are going through as a society. But I have to tell you that to spend my day with my daughter running in and out of my office and sharing my office with my son, I mean, there are worse things. There are worse things.
2: And how are you holding up as an institution and as a president?
0: Yeah, you know, I am i have a little bit of an advantage over some folks in that my career prior to higher ed was spent being a crisis manager. So... I am. Um, I understand how you manage in these situations, and we saw this potential disruption, not coming to this degree, but we started asking ourselves critical questions back in late January, early February, because you know part of what I try and do is just read as much as I can about the things that may come into our universe, and so we were having conversations about, wait a minute, what happens if there's a disruption and we had made the decision that we were going to send our students home. um, And literally the weekend that Harvard announced that they were sending people home, we had already gotten clearance from the board and all of that. And we're just waiting to make the announcement that um, that next week. And so we had the advantage of not having to be so reactionary um, that we could do a little bit of, of forward thinking. So we miss our students. We miss our seeing each other as a staff. We miss that that with each other very much. But we're really, we're very, very appreciative that our folks up until this point have managed to, to be okay in this situation.
1: Thank you for sharing that. And uh, already getting comments for folks who are online, uh, Facebook and Periscope. The comments actually we can elevate. Yes, gratitude definitely is the key. So I'm hearing all your notifications, and it's only making me aware of just how in demand you continue to be, despite like even though your daughter can run in and out of your office. It's 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 never ending. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, as a leader who needs to keep your eyes on the prize despite mm-hmm. all of the distraction. What is serving you right now as a leader? What kind of leadership framework or you know, how are you looking at this situation that enables you to focus on what really matters and sift through some of, some of the noise, some of the drama, but also mm-hmm. really just some of the real tragedy of today?
0: So I have a very, very simple and fundamental leadership principle. I think that you should never lead people you do not and cannot love. Right. And people who've heard me speak have heard me talk about leading with love. I am far more concerned right now about just the well being of my staff and my students. In our staff meetings, we spend time talking about just how are you? Right. Like we've created a safe space where people can talk about I am struggling. I am sad. Uh, I'm scared. And I want people to know that they can do that and that we hear you and that so much of what you accomplish at work while it is important, um, I just don't think it means as much if you aren't okay. And so I spend a lot of time just asking people, are you okay? How are you?
2: Um, Michael, drawing on your past experience in crisis management, how do you separate out kind of the work of the day from the kind of the chaos we're living in right now? You know, just kind of keeping up with the news, but also keeping your eye on the ball for six months from now, eight months from now, or even two years from now. How do you, I think that's what most people are trying to, to manage now, right? They have this fire hose coming at them. And can you give us a little advice on how we could manage those kind of sure. multiple levels that we're all So sure. the
0: first thing to do is just be honest about being overwhelmed, right? I mean, like it's a fire hose. I mean, none of us have managed in a global pandemic before, okay? Give yourself permission to be human and to say, I'm not going to get everything right, right? Just start from there. Like, I I know I'm not going to get everything right. So I don't try to get everything right. I try to always make sure I'm asking myself the question, are we working to minimize our regret, right? So I think that's the second thing. First of all, is just be honest with yourself. Be, Be vulnerable to yourself and be willing to be vulnerable to others. But secondly, act to minimize your regret. So be cautious right? If, if sending everyone home seems like an extreme act, but that is what maximizes your ability to be cautious, send everyone home. No one has ever regretted being too cautious in these situations, mm-hmm. right? I think that's important. I also think it's important to do an honest assessment, right? Like, I mean, really look at the facts and then have the conversation with your people about what's real. You know, like the conversation we have with Paul Quinn is this, How do you bring people back before you can keep them safe? You don't. Therefore, what does it look like to maximize keeping people safe? Mm -hmm. And that's that's where we we start. So we we try and do those things. But the first place is just to be honest, honest with yourself and honest with those around you.
2: Okay. And how do you keep your kind of eye on the ball for what? Paul Quinn or higher ed might look like after this pandemic?
0: Yeah. So I think, I think both higher ed and Paul Quinn are going to look a lot different mm-hmm. when this is over. Um, so what we've done is we've said we're going to plan to look different, right? So we're going to, we're going to have a, a much smaller freshman class. So we're going to use that as an opportunity to beta test an honors college, right? And to you know, go forward with this really unique partnership, which I can't announce right now, but that we think is gonna make an enormous difference in in the experience. So we are planning to be different. We've looked at and said, where have we identified places in our institution where we can be better? How can we instruct the students better? How can we prepare them to succeed in the work college better? So while we're at this period, why don't we pour all in, push all the chips to the middle of the table and address those issues? Those things have helped tremendously. Um, And I think in higher ed, and I said this, you know, uh, last week, I just said that, you know, we have to stop being more in love with our traditions than we are our students. And this is a time where we should put the well-being of our students and our staffs before the historical traditions of our institutions and go identify the things that make sense, that work, and are best for the people we are in charge of ca- of caring for.
1: I love that. So can you share a little bit more about, you know, what I'm hearing is a sense of optimism. Uh, um, you're, having, you're having to have that optimism. And so I'm just curious if you can share, because I, you know, if you read just the headlines inside, um, whether it's high red blogs, or if you're, you're on the social media, it's, um, there, you're already seeing some of the doom and gloom stuff. Um, coming up. And it's really difficult from my perspective to lead an institution, to stay optimistic and to take care of the mental health of your students while people are forecasting your demise, how you are still optimistic about the future of higher ed and what you're seeing that isn't leaving you inspired and hopeful.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) listen, let's just talk about my personal experience. I took over a school that people said was 18 months to 24 months away from closing. We had 30 days of cash on hand. We were put a month, month and a half into my presidency. We were put on probation by the accrediting body. We got kicked out of one of our advocacy groups. There's no reason for us to be here, right? So I know what it's like for people to tell you you're going to fail, it's going to end, and things are going to go away. And then I know what it's like to keep going and to be better on the other side than you ever were. Behind you, and that's the opportunity that presents us now. If you give up, you will never make it, right? You will never ever make it. Yes, it's going to be hard. The hard is what gives you the chance to be great. The hard is what gives your students the opportunity to to have a roadmap for what the rest of their lives will be. You know, I I am not someone who can ever quote biblical passages to you but I am a man of deep, deep, deep faith. I was raised in the church. I went to faith-based schools. And here's what I have been told. Without the test, you never have a testimony. This is higher education's test, right? I mean, come on. If we're going to fold and cry and go home, then what society are we planning on building? What society will we have built? Our students will take the cue from us and our behavior and from our institutional behaviors. If we want a society that is resilient and strong and capable, then we should be leaders who are resilient, strong, and capable. We should should lead institutions that are resilient, strong, and capable. That is so important. So, yes, I'm optimistic because I've been in the battle. I have led an institution that was supposed to have already been gone. 13 years ago, we were given no time. We were given a year and a half to live. And 13 years ago, you hadn't heard of Paul Quinn College. 13 years ago, it was unheard of to imagine Paul Quinn College would be thought of as an institutional leader in anything. Okay, we were a wonderful little institution that took great care of people who were roses that grew out of the concrete, right? Like that's who we were. And we were proud of that. And I'm proud to be a president of institution with that history, but we are now something more. And that came because we went through a crisis and came out the other side. So what I would say to everyone out there who's feeling discouraged, that's cool, I understand it. Give yourself a moment to acknowledge the challenge and to acknowledge how hard it is and acknowledge your feelings and all of that. And then get up, off your knee, well, and pray. If you're a praying person, then pray. And then get up off your knees and start swinging, all right? Believe in the inevitability of your success, and then you will find a way to succeed. That's what I would tell you.
2: Michael, we have a question that came in on, on Facebook that I'm actually interested in, is how you're keeping boards in, informed. I sit on a board of a private college. I did a thing with the with the Association of Governing Boards last week, and I'm talking to people I know on boards. And it's fascinating to me, how very different this is. Some boards are being highly informed. Other boards are completely cut out. How are you managing up and how should presidents manage up to their boards right now?
0: Sure. Well, I don't think this is the time to play games and hide things from your board, right? Like, let me be very clear. I'm a strong advocate for telling people everything, all right? Like, I I believe in communicating. Um, We, I always try and be honest with my board, but we have been through a lot together. Right. I mean, a lot of many of my board members have been through the, the struggle, have been through the challenge. And um, they're they're great. And they understand that there's a path through that we're going to get through, that it will be tough. But we have seen tough. We understand tough. Tough is part of our DNA. We're an African Methodist Episcopal school. Right. That We're an enemy church school. Uh, If you know anything about the history of the AME Church, you know, they had to sue for their right to exist and won a lawsuit in the federal courts in Delaware over 200 years ago. There weren't a lot of black people on the head of the, on the courts 200 years ago in Delaware, all right? There weren't a lot of people who were in tune with them 200 years ago in Delaware. So so my board, we're in this together. You know, I, I want them to know all the things we're doing. And we email constantly, you know, we talk. I just, I think in situations like this, you can never communicate enough. That's with your staff, that's with your students, that's with your board. Talk to people, share. Makes all the difference in the world.
1: Yes, you can't see me in the back green room, but I'm like giving you slow claps each time. <laughs> uh, great, uh, thank you for giving us this uh, helpful message. Um, so I, I do want to touch in because you and I often talk about strategies. What are you actually doing to keep yourself thinking positive, being positive? How are you taking care of yourself? Um, I'm in particular interested in books, movies, anything that you have referenced in the past or read in the past that really is coming up for you today that you would recommend for folks that is giving you that, you know, calm perspective and enabling you
0: to have this kind of resilient mind? So there's something, one, I want to give you some credit because when when we were going through like the early stages of toughness, like you and I had a conversation um, where, you know, you really were encouraging, right? And it sort of made me do what I, what has made me, I think, successful in some part. And that is the ability to step back and realize I was dreaming too small. Right, so I just ratcheted it up. Okay, and I said, all right, we need a couple things. One, in the HBCU space, we need a message of hope. So went out and created the National HBCU commencement celebration, which will take place May 16th. Um, That gets announced formally this week coming up, which will be this opportunity to really celebrate the accomplishments of a sector of people, about 60, 70% of whom, are Pell Grant students, right, who are overcoming enormous challenges who don't get a chance to have their moment, right? So focusing on other people's joy and other people's moment, I've always found to be incredibly helpful for me, right? Because one, I really do believe in the principle of we over me, the needs of a community supersede the wants of an individual. So so that is helped. I am uh, catching up on reading one, a couple of things that I am reading right now, uh, Bounce, which is this really interesting book, uh, Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson. And then one, which is a little slower reading, I must be honest, On Duties by Cicero. Um, but those have been, oh, and I'm also reading Building the International University uh, by our good friend Ben Nelson and the Minerva uh, Project. So I am, um, I'm just, and the other thing I'm doing too is Spending time with my kids and my family and not feeling so pressed about it. So, my daughter loves to play Uno, loves it. She loves to play memory games and she's five. So, you know, I can't play them all day, but stopping for a moment and playing games with her, oh, it's a joy. You know, we're fortunate, we have access to the gym at the school. So, My son and I go down every night and shoot baskets in the gym, which is a joy. Um, So, you know, I work out all the time, um, and I try and get up and take walks. I want to take them every morning. I've not gotten to that point yet, but um, I try and exercise because that is helpful to me. So, um, I do I do those types of things, and and I just also keep in mind that, and this too shall pass. We will get to the other side. And what we are, who we are on the other side will be completely dictated by how we approach the struggle that we are in now. And I believe that.
2: And did you catch The Last Dance last night, Michael?
0: As someone that grew up in
2: Chicago. <laughs> I hope so. That was a college
0: <laughs> basketball player. Yes. <laughs> I watched it. I recorded it. I will be watching it next Sunday and recording. I may even watch it all during the week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. As a sport. Uh, Junkie without having enough live sports to watch, I'm all
2: in. Um, Good. Good. One quick question I want to um, follow up. You are talking about dreaming big with Bridget. You were talking about, but earlier you were talking about uh, being kind of um, more conservative during a, a crisis, right? How, though, can institutions kind of, there's opportunities in crisis as well, right? How do you balance those two things? Not being too far out front but also dreaming big and thinking about possibilities in a crisis. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, I think that's a a great question. I mean, listen, there's a school of thought that says never waste a crisis, right? If we are honest with ourselves as leaders, we know we have underperforming aspects of our institutions. Now is the time to address those underperforming aspects of our institution. And that to me, I mean, you start with the business case, right? Like you start with making sure that fiscally you're going to be okay and the fiscal aspect of it is absolutely a challenge. Um, We are very, very thankful for the payroll protection piece because it allows us to continue to support the hard work of people who have given us their blood, sweat and tears. And when you're at a small school like Paul Quinn, it's personal, it's way more personal. So If we get to a place where we've got like, and let me say this, I have been in the place where we've had to do salary reductions. I mean, my first year on the job, I took a 25% pay cut after I'd taken a 40% pay cut to take the job, right? And the VPs took 20%, and directors took 15%, faculty took 10%. I mean, so, you know, staff took 5%. I mean, so I know what that's like, and I hated it. I hated it. It broke my heart. Right, broke my heart to have to tell people who already weren't making enough money that that we couldn't afford to pay you what we had contracted to pay you. I mean, I just I think you have to look at this through a very clear set of eyes and say, where can we improve? If we could do anything in the world to improve, what would that look like? Appreciate the fact that this is a unique opportunity. We will probably never get this chance to do things. This way again. Understand it's going to be a year to 18 months before things come back to looking, you know, close to normal. So implement the things you want to implement. Tweak the things you want to tweak that you know you should tweak, but you wouldn't really have the opportunity to do so because we're not going to have students, you know, back in the traditional sense and the numbers that we've had them for a while. So why not? You know, why not make those changes? So and then you communicate that. You you talk to people about it honestly and earnestly, get them on the same page, and then go forward.
1: Well, that was exactly the message we were hoping that you would deliver for us, giving us a little bit of perspective, uh, some wisdom for the week ahead. So for those of you who are re- watching at home, um, thank you for being here with us today and for the comments and questions. And just know that these um, the video will be live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Periscope, and you can rewatch and share. But Next week, we are gonna be thrilled to bring the president of Iowa State University, President Wendy Winterstein as our next guest. Um, And just in general, I just wanna thank you, Michael, for your leadership, for your consistency of of bringing a hopeful message that challenges people and in in the right way. And I feel like in this moment, you were the right person for us to call. So thank you for, for taking the call and for folks at home. We hope that this gave you a little bit of positivity for the rest of the week. And we think you can get out there and do it. Well, thank you you all for
0: the opportunity and keep your great
2: work up. Thank you, Michael.
1: Thanks, everybody.